the uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Audie, yeah, thanks again for jumping on with us this morning. And maybe you can just kind of get started with telling us a little bit about the Heritage Farm, how you came to be a part of it, and now all of the branches that kind of stem from what Heritage Farm is and just kind of give us some insight. Sure. So my parents moved out here in 1973. So it's been 50 years on the farm. There you go. Prior to that, this whole area was settled by uh, seven German dairy farming families. And um, so, so a lot of, lot of heritage coming through that group of, of families. And then um, it was just a normal farm growing up. We had cattle and pigs and chickens and all that kind of thing. And then, but all along the way, my parents were collecting Appalachia. And, and when they moved out here, they, they primarily moved here for that 1850s dairy barn. And so my older sisters could have horses and, um, but, and they were just going to knock down the burnout cabin that was on the, the property. Actually, they thought it was just a, they thought it was a house. And, um, when they went to remove the wallboard and the filth, they discovered 200 year old hand hewn logs. And they're like, well, who, who did this? And how come we never learned about them in school? And, um, uh, that began their passion for Appalachia and like, like most passions, it got way out of hand. Uh, so now there's 30 some buildings, uh, thousand acres in West Virginia's first Smithsonian affiliate. So, oh. Wait, but, go back to the logs. What what were the logs? I don't. So the they, it was a there was a burned out house on the on the property. So there's a beautiful 1800s dairy barn, and it still looks exactly like it did, according to photos. Uh, earliest photos of is 1918, and it still looks the exact same way today. They've restored the inside, but the outside still looks exactly the same. And uh, they were just going to knock down the burned out shack. Um, but when they went to, um, you know, prepare it to, to knock it down, they discovered it was actually a log cabin that had been covered over, you, you know, with siding. And, um, you know, mom and dad were raised in the south side of Huntington and the west end of Huntington. And, you know, nobody had ever even talked about our ancestors. And so, they wanted to first learn themselves who were the people that got here before us yeah and and how did they make it and how did they and, and then and it just uh started them on a journey of helping people understand wow somebody in your family is amazing yeah. uh, you know they 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 came over these mountains um and this area where we are was very late to be settled you know, Huntington didn't even incorporate it until 1871. And um, part of that is just the the topography was so, the, the, the gentleman's notes showed that the average circumference of a tree was 18 feet. You know, so it was just an impenetrable forest. Um, so one of the amazing things about our Appalachian ancestors is a lot of them, the, whoever was first through, they had to survive the first winter with nothing that they grew on the property because they spent their whole first summer just cutting down the trees and removing the stumps so that the second summer 
you know, they can put a crop in the ground. Yeah. So these were amazing people. And so, um, you know, given the challenges that, that we face today, it's, um, it's important to remind her that, yeah, we've got some challenges today, but they are nothing compared to what somebody in your family has already overcome. And, uh, like chopping down hundreds of 18 foot circumference trees, right? <laughs> and, yeah. With trees. you, me and a crosscut saw, I mean, yeah. right. <laughs> and, and then, I mean, that's one of actually my favorite examples of ingenuity. Okay, you, you let's just pretend for a moment that you and me are, are superhuman strength and we did that. Well, now, well, how are you getting rid of that enormous yeah. stuff? Yeah, you stick it in yeah, so a chipper, it. right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and this is pre-Industrial Revolution and, you know, and uh, some of the ways they did, many ways they did it, but my favorite is, well, if you've ever fed hogs, you see where this is led. They, they, they just would sprinkle the corn on the stump every day, and those hogs would uh, would take care of it over time every every morning. That's just that's just ingenious. That's just understanding the world around you and how it works, yeah. and using it to your advantage. And and you know, we we like to tell the school kids, you know, somebody in your family was amazing. Yeah, they built their own home. They yep. grew their own food, they made their own clothing, and they were able to protect their family against everything that came against them, or else you and I wouldn't even be here today. Yeah. And and so uh, mom and dad began collecting Appalachia and, and putting it in ways that would explain uh, heritage from progress and industry to, to transportation. Uh, the country store, all those kinds of, of versions of, of, of history. And hopefully in an attempt that um, would allow, started to school children, now it's all of us because, you know, it's 50 years later. So we've had multiple generations get further removed from the life that they were celebrating. And, uh, you know, now it's even more important, I think, as, as, as we look at what somebody in our family was able to accomplish with far less resources than we have today. Yeah. Um, even, even, even if we consider ourselves poor, we're millionaires compared to what somebody in your family had necessarily from a resource standpoint. Um, but they were, they were extremely rich based upon their, their 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 family and their and their fortitude we call it perseverance perspiration and passion they had it all and um what's winters yeah so our 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 purpose is to help kids and adults understand that not not in a way just not not in a way to shame us today but to inspire us today that gosh if somebody in my family could do that what are we capable of? And, and, and we are capable of just the same, uh, making the world a better place, just like they did by using our hard work, creativity and big old brain. And, um, so that's the mission of the farm, help people experience the past, appreciate today, and then dream for the future. Yeah. I think it's, a it's important to physically see it too. Cause like there's, you know, you can just read about it. You can go to yeah, class, yeah, you can yeah. hear about like the pioneer days, but there's something about like physically walking through your all setups and like seeing the tools and seeing how that worked. I think it, it connects people like 
you know, I mean, that's what the power of museums, it directly connects them to their ancestors. And it, it really can show you, wow, like these were people that, like you said, had a tough life, but like they figured it out and they persevered. And that's what we're, that's what all, that's the roots of our cultural pride is that we overcame this. But like, unless you get to see it, feel it and like, you, you know, smell it, be on the farm, it's like, it's hard to kind of like conceptualize that. So it's pretty neat um, that you all were able to almost like be a window back in time, but also as you're back in that window of time, you're actually thinking about the future and what you can do. So it's kind of like a two-way, I think I saw, I saw that in the video, I think it was your father, Mike, was saying how the farm is not about the past, it's actually about the future. It's like what we can learn from our people and then how we can apply this in our own lives. And I thought that was like pretty tremendously profound way to look at it. Yeah, it's interesting. He he and mom, um, you know, if, if you think most museums are about a period in time or a famous person and and they they wanted to do something different in that um you know it's really a museum about change because uh, that's the one thing that's constant and and how people deal with change and and um one of one of my favorite uh interactions for people is at the blacksmith shop you know, the, the, we have lots of artisans and they're amazing, talented people. And so you spend five, 10 minutes with any of them and, and, and you have a new appreciation for, for what talent is within these mountains. Um, but the blacksmith who's still used, is still doing it by hand, uh, you know, hitting all the, hitting all of the senses, literally, um, usually pretty quick people get a feel for, the the enormity of the challenge that was before the people and um and and a phase of our life that we don't even see you know everything in our lives is kind of already made for us absolutely uh, right even even down with the food we eat. rarely you know do we even grow anything that we eat and uh so that introduction of 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 life prior to someone else doing it for you um is a good reminder that when you face a challenge, one of my one of my favorite conversations is with an elderly gentleman, and he was raised by grandparents, so he was he was really an old soul. And um, I said, "What do you think's the biggest difference between your grandparents and today?" And I I think his answer was super insightful. He said, "You know, when my grandparents faced a challenge." Their very first question was, what can I make? And today, when we face a challenge, our very first question is, what can I buy? Yeah. Who do we pay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. How do we, uh, and yeah. so, and, and, and obviously the world's very different now and, 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 you know, but, but I think from a, from a, from a 10,000 foot level, I think it's a great conversation about. You know, when you face a challenge, whether we're talking personally or as a community or as a state, instead of looking for someone outside to come save us, the reminder is your heritage is nobody's going to care about your problem more than you. Mm -hmm. What can you do to, quote, fix the problem? Hey folks, Cooper here. Sorry to interrupt, but I do have a reminder that the West Virginia Regional Technology Park is the Friday night photo booth sponsor of the Almost Heaven Classic. Now, you may ask, what is West Virginia Regional Technology Park? 
where they're leading the mountain state in a new frontier of innovation, science, technology advancement, and education. It's home to over 25 businesses and 1,000 jobs. The Tech Park's 258-acre multi-tenant campus is ideal for STEM industries and institutions that diversify West Virginia's economy and drive business and economic growth. A robust infrastructure offers flexibility and versatility to provide new and existing tenants with the assets vital to their success. For more information, visit wvtechpark.com. Do you think part of the problem is now that just like everything is just so advanced? I mean, some of the skills that our grandparents knew and great grandparents knew, you know, catching, hunting, catching fish, planting crops, now making clothes, that's a little different, but I, I can't make a phone, you know what I mean? But, right. but so when you talk about inspiring people for the future, do you find that it's difficult because we're not being taught how to hunt and fish necessarily unless it's being passed down? And we're certainly not necessarily being taught how to make things like this or, you know, unless you study that, obviously. But it does feel like the culture that we live in now is more about bye, 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 not so much about how do I fix myself? Does that, you know, do you, do you find that it's difficult to inspire people when this is kind of like the day that we live in? So what we focus on is the core element is problem solving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It wasn't hunting, fishing, making clothes. It was, it was survival, right? It, it, it was the problem to be solved was how to feed your family, how to protect your family. Right. Yeah. So the cool thing about for Appalachia is, I mean, if you think about it, the basis of all commerce, every time you spend a dollar or receive a dollar, because you're problem solving. That's the reason we spend money is I'm hungry, I'm sleepy, I'm bored, I'm, you know, fill in the blank. That's why we're spending money. Well, great. Well, we have a heritage of problem solving. So we, we ought to be some of the most entrepreneurial people on the planet, right? Based on our heritage. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it doesn't mean that I have to make the next iPhone, I hope, hope somebody in West Virginia does, man, that'll change our economy. But you know what I'm saying? It's about problem solving. And so the when we take kids through the museum, it's showing examples of how people solve problems. And then the hopefully the inspiration is, what problem do you want to solve? Yeah. Um, my favorite example is actually the first time I asked that question, um, you know, in the past, we used to ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, to your point, it's a terrible question because you're asking a, you're asking a fourth grade kid who yeah. has no clue what jobs there's going to be 15 years from now because the world's changing so quickly. Mm -hmm. And even if you say, oh, there'll always be fill in the blank. I don't know. You know, it's going to change. It's going to look, but I guarantee you there will always be problems to be solved. Yeah. And we're if you learn like a fundamental skill set of problem solving, identification, communication, hard work, you know, tenacity, resiliency, if you focus on those fundamental things, then that can be applied to anything instead of like hyper focusing or educating our youth to be one specific job role in the future yeah. that might not yeah. even exist. Exactly. Like right. Let's, let's teach them timeless characteristics and morals and values that will transcend technology growth. And, and exactly. I mean, that is our heritage people who have persevered, adapted to change and overcame. And so that's what you want to instill, not 
pigeonholing a specific um, uh, skill, right? But that broader application of how do I approach a problem and find a solution and solve it. But so the first time I asked that question, it was a fourth grade class from uh, Dunlow, West Virginia. So very rural. Um, at the time, the coal's gone, right? No trucking companies, all that kind of thing. And so you're a little nervous about that question. What are they going to answer? Are they are they going to dream big dreams? And um, hmm, uh, never, never, never doubt, never doubt the hollers of West Virginia. Get this. So fourth grade class, they go through the tour. I ask them, what problem do you want to solve? This little girl's hand, fourth grade girl's hand goes right up. Um, and I said, yes, ma'am, what, what question do you want to solve? And she said, I want to figure out how to stop my grandma's hands from shaking. Oh, boom. Great answer. Yeah. I mean, there's a girl you want to follow and, and, and now you see how the whole education system works for her now. She needs, she knows what she needs to learn to solve the problem that's in front of her. And I just love that example because. I, I'm pretty sure no one had ever asked that young lady that question before. Wow. But she was ready, right? And not all of us, not all of us know right off the top of the head what problem we want to solve. But if we keep asking ourselves and looking at the world around us and seeing what our answer might be, well, it's super exciting because I think when we find our answer, it's usually a beautiful marriage between something we're good at and something we're passionate about. And if you can spend your whole life doing something that you're passionate about and good at, man, the world's going to be a better place because you exist. Do you think that even at a broader scale, maybe West Virginia stereotypically gets looked down upon because the outside world looks at West Virginia and says they don't have problem solvers of today? Maybe they had problem solvers of the past, and Cole obviously is the number one example but do you think that maybe the, the outside world looks at West Virginia and says they, they don't do anything that helps us today, which clearly a thousand percent is not true. We talk to people every single week on this podcast that are problem solvers in their own realm, but maybe this turn problem solver, maybe it's it's even deeper than just saying, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's even deeper than what we're talking about. Maybe people are quick to look at you in a negative light because they don't think that you can bring anything to the world more than a yeah the modern problems exactly yeah modern day problems uh you know cj i i think it's i think we're the ones who think that way now obviously i have a different interaction with the outside world so to speak because i'm in tourism I find that the person from outside who comes to West Virginia is amazed. Yeah. They are shocked. A, they can't believe they've never been here. B, it's one of the most beautiful places they've ever been. And C, they can't believe the people are so kind. Right. Oftentimes, I think it's us who have a, I call it inferior Enzo. It's, it's like the flu, but it's far more deadly because it lasts for generations, not just a week. Yeah. We have this, unfortunately, a, a concept that we're, we're, you know, Appalachian less than. And 
I don't know that the world thinks that. We think they do. Um, and certainly there's contexts in which, um, y- you know, that, 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 that we, we may be considered uh, behind or less educated or something. But I, I, I think that the beginning of changing that is within ourselves, not, not trying to change somebody else's opinion. We got to change our own. Yeah, maybe that's a classic example of the silent minority. They're the ones that aren't speaking, putting the shun, the bad, the bad, um, you know, the bad, the, the uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Just the bad vibes into the ethos, you know, uh, for lack of a better phrase or term. But um, maybe it is just the people that we, we hear small tidbits of people talking bad about West Virginia. And that's what we assume everybody's talking about. But in the reality yeah. is the silent majority those are the people that are coming to West Virginia and that are just blown away by what they see. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's spot on. Well, I've even thought about it through the lens of like we, I've, I've called it like the toxic like internalization of some of the, the our own stereotypes that yeah, maybe like, for sure. like hold us back. Like we play into we, it sometimes. Sometimes. And then also I think that why, the reason why we founded the podcast was because we wanted to be, we wanted to provide a narrative of, the good things that are going on, the the yep. amazing entrepreneurs, the the creative you know people that are in the state, the problem solvers of West Virginia of sorts. When you when you see headlines that are constantly bad about the state, you you can't help. I'm sure a culture can't help but self like actualize that. Like oh, well, I'm just a I'm an X Y Z because you've seen it repeatedly. But in reality, it's like you might not even be like that about yourself. But it's just you know un- un- unfortunate. It could be reality of of media and, and just culture and then what we're told that we are versus what we know. It's like, I look around and I see my neighbor down the street. He's the most innovative, ingenious guy. Yeah. He could rig a, you know, piece of board over a Creek. We'll drive a tractor over it. And also we have a bridge that's engineering. That's creativity. That's problem solving. Like, that's remarkable. But like, we don't see that as a, as a, a marketable skill. I think generally, but I think now I think more, I think the silver lining of COVID in West Virginia and stuff is that people are like, Craving thing like knowing how to build things, how to live a life maybe more sustainable or more hands on, like physical problem solving. Like I think there is like a as the world gets increasingly tech and remote, I think there is like a, a yearning of people to still be connected to their land, to their people, to their community, to their food, and that sort of thing. And I think West Virginians are more so in tune with that part of humanity maybe than any other group of people. Yeah, I think you're right, Cooper. The you know clearly the pandemic was not a good thing, but right. just just like most things that we can learn from, hey, we we we've got an opportunity perhaps to hit the reset button. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the mountains the mountains are calling, um, and 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 perhaps and you point out one of the one of the ways we gain control of our economy better is, hey, what if we started producing our own food again? Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, now, in 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 the large scale economy, we've kind of given up on that because we don't have, you know, 10,000 acres of flat land like Iowa. Right. And so that's where the industry has gone. But how do we convince ourselves to to support the local farmer in ways that we can through, you know, local restaurants or our school system or 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 things that we can uh, work to support the local people because 
becoming more self-sufficient as a state is the future. Yeah. Um, we, we want global markets and we want uh, companies moving here, um, obviously, but we need to support what is available in each community. And each community is unique. Each community needs to problem solve. What do we have that we can take care of ourselves that gives us that one niche towards towards uh, sufficiency? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely it's a different dollar, but um, you know that's part of the problems to be solved. Hello, friends. For well over a century, the Ziegenfelder name has been synonymous with big and happy smiles that come from enjoying wholesome treats. They have a rich history of customer service and homemade products that began with candy, expanded into ice cream, and now has evolved to become one of the largest producers of the frozen twin pops in the United States. The Ziegenfelder Company is the official putting contest sponsor of the Almost Heaven Classic, and we certainly hope you enjoy their delicious treats. I want to change gears here, too, to something that you brought up earlier, the Smithsonian affiliation. How did that come about? And, you know, what was the, the early process of that like? Because just saying that you're Smithsonian affiliated, it's got to be pretty damn cool to just be like, yeah, that's that's nothing, you know, not a big deal. Yeah, super cool. We um, So my dad passed away in February of 2015 uh, from from appendix cancer. And, um, and the announcement, uh, the official announcement didn't happen until March of that year, but, uh, they made an exception and, uh, and let him know that, uh, his life work had received that, um, stamp of approval, uh, before he passed. So, uh, it's always a, an emotional thought that was pretty cool, yeah. um, to, to get that kind of, uh, stamp of approval, uh, before you before you go to glory. So, um, anyway, yeah, super cool. Uh, a lot of hard work from people putting together the, um, application. I don't know. It looked like 3000 pages long to me, but <laughs> a lot, a lot of work, but, uh, it, it was, it was just, a as a nice confirmation for mom and dad, uh, uh, you know, well done. What does that mean? What does the Smithsonian affiliation do for you guys? So the affiliation program is not a monetary program. What uh, the Smithsonian does is through the affiliates, um, and and they have them throughout the country. The concept is that not everyone is likely to make it will make it to Washington D.C. to see the Smithsonian's. So they've created an affiliation program that's uh, sort of acknowledges quote Smithsonian quality institutions within your neighborhood so that you can, um, you know, you can learn about your, your unique culture. And then also it allows us access. Um, you know, we have our own liaison there. So if a school group wants to come and learn about fill in the blank, uh, we can reach out to them directly and, and, and we can, we can either live stream it here or, or tape delay it, um, or, or even host articles from them. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be uh, selected in, as part of that process. Um, that's amazing. And, that's really amazing. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and it gives a little, it gives a little nod of, of, of quality for the traveler. Cause 
you know, by if if they're coming from I sixty four, and you know, this may be the seventh farm museum that they've seen, so they're going to give up by this time. But that maybe that gives them a little extra nudge that uh, there's more than just a tractor and a plow here, maybe. And I'm looking yeah. at the map. Sorry, Cooper, to cut you off there, but you guys are the only ones in West Virginia, right? The only Smithsonian affiliate in West Virginia, too. So that again, another nod to the hard work that you and your family put in. So currently, yeah. Um, so I, I keep using the moniker first instead of only because first. We're well, that's join the party. Congrats. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Spot on. Yeah. Audie, your your father said the quote here says, "Change is as old as our wonderful hills." And that's part of the the core magic there at, at the museum at the farm is that embracing change, you know, not shying away from adversity, leaning into tough times and coming out ahead. Like how now you as you know as the overseer of the of this wonderful kind of thing that you all have built through your family. Like what do you see? Maybe the the change of the farm. Like like what do you think? 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, like what, what could it be or what maybe, what are some of the stuff in works now that maybe will lead to that change? Yeah. Thanks Cooper. I, um, so, so dad, mom and dad, mom's still living. Um, uh, and, uh, 86. She's awesome. I have a, I have a breakfast appointment with her in just a few minutes. She's, she's awesome. Uh, but mom, mom and dad, focused on the amazing Appalachian person. And so this this uh, museum complex is a testament to the Appalachian past, present. Um, one of the things we began to do is my daughter, my oldest daughter graduated uh, with her zoology degree in, in, in um, zoo and conservation science. And you know, I think she was headed to San Diego or 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 Chicago or 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 San Antonio, some some big zoo. And um, but through her studies there at at Otterbein, she said, "Wait a minute, the same traits that we celebrate about the Appalachian people is true of the Appalachian flora and fauna." They chose to live here too. They are amazing. You know, we have one of the most diverse forests in the entire world. 27 different species of hardwood trees. Um, we have some of the, we have uh, the most salamander species of anywhere in the world. You know, all those different creatures that maybe don't get the limelight when you go to the Columbus Zoo, but maybe they should. And so one of our focuses is how to show off the flora and fauna of Appalachia in a way that captures the imagination um, that it doesn't necessarily receive. And it's the same, you know, our flora and fauna are underappreciated just like the people. And so when she came back with that, I, I, I really identified with that. I think that's a beautiful next step for the farm is to is to explain for our heritage breeds. Uh, hopefully, we'll be uh, uh, working with the Department of Agriculture. Hopefully, we'll be getting some elk here soon. Uh, we have a bison. We have Scottish Highlanders. Uh, we have uh, different breeds that were here mm -hmm. before we were, and, to, and, and other animals to help people understand that um, 
you know, there's always been a symbiotic relationship here in the mountains, and it's 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 a good thing to celebrate and and understand. And so then that led to the adventure park, the adventure park. So we've been telling people that our ancestors overcame challenges in the mountains, but we never sent them into the mountains. They were just down here in the valley, wandering through buildings, and we're like. Wait a minute. It's time for them to overcome their own challenges in the mountains with a modern twist. So we've created uh, mountain bike trails and, and zip lines and challenge courses so that people can actually get up into the mountains and and see its beauty and 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 conquer some challenges on their own in a, with a modern day twist. That's all relevant to going forward. You know, I think. As I mentioned earlier, I think tourism tourism is not a silver bullet, but tourism is definite part of West Virginia's economy going forward. Um, we just have so much to celebrate and 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 a perfect topography to do it. Um, many other industries, our topography is not seen as ideal, but for tourism, it, it's a home run. So, I, I hope to see, um, you know, Western West Virginia come alive like the center part of West Virginia has come alive with being a destination for tourism. And, and you know, we're pretty much the uh, heart of the whole Appalachian region. The, the, the geographic center is right here. So why not celebrate Appalachia in, in, a, in a powerful and strong way rather than how perhaps it's been portrayed in other uh, venues and, uh, you know, and, and begin to eradicate poverty right here where we where we stand. I like uh, the idea, too, of, of you guys being on in Huntington and, and being on like the western edge of West Virginia. You are the entry point for a lot of people that come Ohio, to West Kentucky, Virginia. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and from and what, that travels from 64. I mean, yeah, you're, the, you're the first gateway into West Virginia for a lot of people. Yeah, Wayne County, which is where we're Wayne County, at. exactly. Their their slogan is Western Gate to the Mountain State. That's cool. Why is it Gate to the Mountain State? Yeah, that's pretty it's either. Well, it's not quite out Wayne. I like uh, that's right. <laughs> it's not quite out Wayne, but Western Gate to the Mountain State. That's pretty good. That's well, pretty I'm glad. Good. I'm glad it's people like you, man, that are stewards of our culture, and you, you get it. You know, there's a simple saying of that person just gets it, and I think you all get it, and I think you're going to help a lot of other people understand and get it. And then maybe a rediscovery of their own West Virginians, but then also new people coming into the state and finding out why we think this place is, is magical. So yeah, we, we appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all this with us here on the podcast. Well, gentlemen, I, I appreciate what you're doing because it is about having conversations that make change and change is inevitable, but it's also what moves things forward. And, uh, and what you guys do in setting a positive pace and, and reminding people that there are amazing people, amazing places. Uh, I, I really appreciate uh, what you guys do and, and look forward to uh, seeing more people come alongside and celebrate West Virginia. Yeah. The, anything else that we can help you promote? Anything in particular going on right now that maybe we didn't get to? Well, sure. So uh, May 6th is our spring festival. And um, that is when we'll kick off the 50th celebration year. Um, and so lots of, uh, we'll be opening a new exhibit talking about the land. 
super cool exhibit goes from the mound builders, the Native Americans who were here. Then uh, we actually have the Savage Land Grant, which is the 30,000 acres that that uh, the the 60 French and Indian War soldiers were given. That is basically the the deed from Guyandot all the way down the Big Sandy River, and we're lot 32. Um, anyway, so we have that actual map and the court case and all the things for people to see, uh, and then talk about the Germans uh, that were here with their dairy farms and then mom and dad and the farm. So just talking about that, we have a two-person musical that a former professor that Marshall made about mom and dad's story that that is fun um of course the elk are arriving and there's some new exhibits for the animals and uh anyway it's a good kickoff to the season all the artisans food music and good stuff so if you want to just mention you know if you want to go check it out they'll be open um you know, check out the website harrisfarmmuseum.com. But if you want to hit the big first opening season festival, yeah. it's Saturday, May 6th. Okay, guys. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. gentlemen. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for it.